Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and Alex from Massachusetts. Guys, welcome back, it's episode 56, and it's going to be a good one, but we'll save some of the Euros drama for a little bit later. We'll open up with some of the transfer news that's going on around Europe. So Alex, you want to take us through that? Sure. So... One of the biggest stories for Chelsea today is that our cult hero and recent effective servant in Olivier Giroud, what a guy, is finally heading out. He's going to AC Milan for a price of 2 million euros, and we have to appreciate his contributions to the club. He's come up super clutch. I believe he was our Champions League top scorer this year. Um, obviously those four goals in one game are quite the iconic moment as is his bicycle kick. Um, so huge, huge player, top professional, didn't complain when getting benched and he definitely deserves a bit more game time. So I'm, I'm happy to see him sad to see him go, but happy to see him going to a club that will hopefully be able to appreciate him and give him a bit more game time. So, um, bittersweet news on that front. And in that same center forward department, then we come to Erling Holland. The rumors are still going. And I don't want to, I don't want to create news as we go, because obviously everyone loves to to write a story about nothing, but things are still chugging along in the background. Supposedly Chelsea are all but officially planning a bid in the region of 150 million. I'm not sure exactly how reputable that is. Um, but sources were saying there's going to be a bid with a minimum of 130 million pounds, which makes sense because it's going to take a serious sum uh, to pull them away from Dortmund this year when Chelsea don't really have much competition in the market. So all eyes on that deal. But for now, I think we've just got to stay patient and and wait for Erling uh, to come to the bridge. So I guess. I don't know who, um, if either of you guys have a bit more information, are there some Emerson to Napoli links going on? Yeah, indeed they are. So the manager of Napoli made a quick joke or comment in a press conference stating that he may have or may have not probably exchanged a phone call or text with Emerson asking him to come to Napoli and he giggled that one away. So this one makes sense to me just because we have three left backs in the department right now and Emerson probably needs some game time. The fact that he still makes the Italy squad with limited game time is actually very impressive and a testament to him. So that will be an interesting one to watch. Yeah. And I, I think personally, I've been impressed even just how he stood in, in Italy's most recent game. I think in terms of age and and effectiveness and pace, maybe I would just as soon keep him at the club, especially when Marcus Alonso is our other option. That's the issue, honestly, because both Emerson and Alonso could probably be, starting left backs at another club but that's the beauty of depth and that's what a top team like Chelsea brings so I guess we still have those same Jack Grealish to Man City rumors that's yet another target that they've set out and as we know Man City tends to go out and buy the players that they want so we'll see if that happens and we'll see if the the classic Harry Kane to Manchester City links persist especially after the Euros which I'm sure is on the forefront of Kane's mind at this moment. So uh, one other interesting point that we were just discussing before starting is that Chelsea has 70 players on their books currently from the first team returning loans, the development squad. We have 
you could call it a bloated squad, but I guess not everyone even sees Stamford Bridge in a season. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. Yeah, Rahul, I'll let you talk a little bit more about this, but I think Alex said 70 players on loan, 7-0. Yeah, I mean, and you got to give credit to Carefree Youth on Twitter who shared that uh, number. And that's, I mean, you think about it and it's like you have a squad of 25 players in the first team, but then we have more than double that. Uh, Obviously, some of those players are in development squad and the younger players, so you, you understand that. But we have a lot of players on loan and that's why we're known as the loan army. Uh, and these players are coming back and we touched on a couple of them last episode, Loftus-Cheek, uh, Mark Guehi, Connor Gallagher, all of them who are being looked at this summer. So I know we want signings. I know we know Holland is one of the guys interesting, uh, interested. We're, we're interested in, I beg your pardon, uh, but fans on social media, fans um, on other platforms have been asking for where are the signings what's going on so the the word for them is just stay patient let the club work, start preseason look at some of these players coming back and i'm sure they're working on other deals in the background so uh we've got to work through with this and we just can't keep adding to the squad because we do have uh, a wage budget and a financial um what was it fair play to look out for next season i know it's not happening this summer but that's something that we've always got to keep an eye on. Right. And it's an interesting one because you mentioned some players that could make the squad, but there are several players that we barely mentioned, the likes of Michi Bashwai that don't make the right. squad season after season, Danny Drinkwater, Charlie Masonda, who's been there since he's 15 or 16, and Victor Moses, who was just sold over to Spartak Moscow, if I'm not mistaken, after right. nine years at the club. In fact, being part of a winning Premier League season as well at right wing back. So it's it's an amazing number to look at 70 players but definitely we just have to watch out and see what comes in the in the next few months here well i think you have some information about messi as well this time around yeah so we said on the last episode that he hadn't re-signed his contract with barcelona uh, not really being linked to any other teams and so uh, the question was why not and so the reason is because he wants to stay with barcelona but barcelona who seem to be in a lot of financial trouble uh, they're over a billion euros in debt and 40% over the La Liga wage cap. So the, the rumors or the news breaking was they've actually got to sell some players and get them off their books before they can actually register some of their new signings as in Aguero, Depay, and get Messi to re-sign. So it's a total mess over there. And uh, one of the questions I had for you guys was if we could pick anyone from that squad... Uh, apart from Messi, I, for me, I would go for Frankie de Jong, but who, who would you guys go for? Yeah, it's definitely a tough one. They, they have a good squad. It's littered with a lot of great players. Frankie de Jong is a, is a great name that comes through. It's tough. It really is tough to think about, but it's an interesting one because looking at center forwards, I know many years ago, Chelsea were linked with Sergio Aguero, and maybe he would be a quick fix option should we not be able to land Holland, but of course, that's just in the dream world. Alex, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on a player from Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I know Griezmann had been getting linked to Chelsea. I think he, he I believe he commented on one of Mason Mount's photos yeah. on Instagram or something, and the rumor mill started circulating. So he would never be a bad buy for any team. 
I don't personally think he's the exact profile of player we need at the moment. Um, but honestly, if you had to take someone at a super low price, if, if they're willing to sell, I mean, maybe less, maybe more likely than Griezmann, if they're willing to offload Coutinho, and I was saying rumors, I was seeing rumors flying around that he could be going for 20 million just to get, get him out of there. Um, I think that's certainly undersold, but I, I don't see who would complain as long as we're signing these players at a really, really low price. So certainly wouldn't go out of my way for them, but even an Usman Dembele, I mean, he's got his injury issues, but he's clearly skilled. And the issue is you don't want these players to come in and expect, expect to play every game. But if you're telling me I could get Usman Dembele on the bench to come in, in the 70th minute against premier league teams every week, I'm taking that in a heartbeat. So I don't know, not, I don't think anything's going to materialize there, but we can always uh, have some conjectures. I'm glad you said Usman Dembele because our current boss, Chuko, speaks very highly of him. In fact, saying he's one of the most natural talents he has ever seen playing football. So definitely maybe we're starting on rumors over here to see what <laughs> we can do in the next few weeks, but good conversation nonetheless. But before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the Euros and get into waistcoat football, maybe that's the term we should start coining, Rahul, do you want to take us through Copa America? Because there's been some interesting developments there. Yeah, absolutely. So the final set for this weekend, Saturday night, Brazil versus Argentina, the dream final that everybody wanted, uh, is set to kick off. And it's Neymar and Thiago Silva versus Messi. Uh, Messi has another opportunity to win a, a major trophy for Argentina. Uh, and this time around, I think he will do it. He's got a better supporting cast and... Uh, they overcame Colombia in the semifinals. And the one player I'm thinking of that really helped them was Emmy Martinez. And that may ring a bell for uh, you guys who follow the Premier League uh, because he's the Aston Villa goalkeeper. He's also the goalkeeper that prevented Chelsea from winning the FA Cup last season. Uh, and he was massive in that shootout. There was no fans in the stadium. So you could very clearly hear how he was intimidating the opposition he kept saying, look at me, look into my eyes. I know you're nervous. And I get it from a Colombian side. That could be annoying, but it was just refreshing to see and hear that because in, in a packed stadium, you probably wouldn't pick that up. Uh, but he did what he needed to, to win that penalty shootout. And I think uh, Argentina are ready to end this trophy drought and get Messi that trophy that will ultimately seal his title of the greatest of all time. Well, good luck to Messi and co, but equally good luck to our very own Thiago Silva. Hopefully he can put up a fight to stop Messi and it'll be an exciting final. Now let's move on to what we're all wanting to talk about, and that is the Euros. And we're moving into the finals, guys, but before we get there, Alex, do you want to take us through your home nation? I see your flag in the background today. Yes. Spain. <laughs> I am I am repping these boys today. I think <laughs> Italy got past Spain. I mean, there's not much more to say in terms of their performance. It wasn't fantastic. And I think it was yet another example. Um, and we've seen plenty of them throughout this tournament and in every tournament that you don't have to play amazingly well. You don't have to be at your best to win every game and progress through a tournament. Um, Spain dominated the ball and they were probably better on the ball. They were a bit more creative and as I said on the previous episode if Spain can clamp down Italy's midfield which they did a very good job of they're really going to limit Italy's attacking options um, but 
there was a great goal, another great goal from Chiesa, who has had a fantastic tournament in the running for player of the tournament for sure, if Italy have a good result against England. And we'll we'll have to see how they do in the next game. I wouldn't call this so much a one-off, but they got the goal. They conceded an equalizer, Murata with a nice little weaving run through the Italian defense, some give and go, classic Spanish tiki-taka. And he was temporarily the hero, but then it was from hero to zero for Murata as it went to penalties. He missed for Spain. And then my boy, Jorginho, slots home the winning penalty, cold as ice with his trademark J-jump, I think he calls it. I don't know. It's it's in his Instagram bio now. Um, I think I think Jorginho is a beautifully uh, cultured and exquisite term for such an elegant penalty style, but I, I was impressed. He got the job done. Um, and I, I can't complain about that because I'd also said on the last episode that I think assuming Italy get past them, Spain are going to be a tougher game than England are simply because of their play style. Spain love possession. They love to smother teams just by possessing the ball, passing all around them. And we saw Spain try to do that, but yet again, they lacked a clinical finishing touch. So the Italian boys are in the final, and all I have to say is I personally think that it's coming Rome, not coming home. <laughs> I'm loving these puns, but I think you described this game very well, Alex. The fact that it's the Italian job, dare I say, with them moving forward, and now England are going to have to play them. We'll talk about England here in just a minute, but it was a tough fixture, but they grinded out the result. They kept pushing. They kept fighting, and Rahul, maybe a quick word on, on Morata from hero to, to zero really quickly. We talked about him in the previous podcast. Maybe he was one to watch. He does have talent, but he can be frustrating. He absolutely can. And that finish, like Alex said, was very good. You almost would have thought he would have missed that one. Uh, but he puts it away and gets them back in the game. But when he stepped up for that penalty, you just knew that he didn't have that confidence. It just didn't, he wasn't exuding that, you know, the ability and the confidence and he didn't take a good penalty and he misses it. Uh, and there's not much more to say about it. That's Murata in one, one game high yeah, and just low. A quick word on, just a quick word on Spain. I was watching ESPN and what they were talking about is Luis Enrique had been out of coaching for a few years. He took a break due to a loss in his family. The team didn't get to train together due to some COVID issues. And so when they started, there were a lot of ups and downs with Spain, but they made a decent run towards the semifinals. And they are a relatively young team. I know they do have the likes of Morata, who's getting up there in age, and our very own Aspilicueta. But they are a very young team, and they could be one for the next tournament to, to watch out for once they gel together. But let's heap more praise on Italy. I think that makes it 38 games on the bounce in a, in a row or something <laughs> like that. I see Alex pulling his jersey, repping Italy today. And so... I mean, you've got to be really, really pleased with what they're doing. And I'm sure Mancini is probably over the roof because now it's a chance since, what, 2006 in a major final where they can actually go ahead and win this against the dedicated England squad. So we'll jump right into that one next. And Rahul, I'll let you go first here because you've got what looks like the English boys in your background there. And how was their game against Denmark? It was, as we expected, a tough game and... Uh, like I'd said in the last episode, that England need to score the first goal because if Denmark get it, they'll just try to defend it. And that's what they did. They were solid from the, the first whistle. Uh, and then Damsgaard scores that beautiful free kick. I mean, uh, 
you knew he had the ability, you knew he was having a good tournament, but to do that was just crazy. And that was actually the first goal Pickford had conceded. So uh, not a bad goal to concede. Um, and then I'm looking, I was looking at the replay. And in fact, I was thinking shades of Kepa because he tries to go for it and doesn't make it. But anyway, uh, yeah. And then England dominated the ball. Like Alex was saying with uh, Spain, England dominated the ball. They had the chances. They get back into the game through an own goal. Uh, Sterling involved towards the end. Simon Kerr puts it into his own net. And then from 1-1, you really knew that England had the potential, the players, the talent to just push on from there. Uh, it did take a dodgy penalty, but they also didn't get one with Kane earlier in the game. So uh, these things kind of tend to correct themselves. Now, Alex may have different thoughts about the penalty call, uh, but Kane misses it actually. So justice in a way was served, but then it falls right back to him and he buries it and 2-1. And at that point, Denmark were done. I mean, they had right. put everything out there and credit to them. They gave us a great, great story in this tournament, but England comes through. Yeah, I see you've changed your background to pizza there, Alex. It looks like you're ready for the Italians to make quick work of the English there. What are your thoughts on that penalty? Yeah, I think definitely... I saw both sides of, of the game or of the, the arguments online, not necessarily the penalty call. I think it was a pretty general consensus that Sterling going down was not probably should not have been a pen. I, the more I watched it, the more you realize he's completely already going down before there's even any contact. It was super light. So we know Sterling dives. It's a part of his game. It's tough to avoid that. Definitely the Kane penalty, I thought, was much more of a shout um, with the the Danish player. I'm not sure who it was, but completely took Kane. I mean, he took the ball, but also completely cut off Kane, stomped on his foot and totally prevented Kane from getting there. So I and I think on my my call me the stat merchant, but on expected goals, England were above three, I think, maybe for the game. Um, they had some serious chances. Um, certainly they, they, they far out expected Denmark. Um, so I, I think England, if you, if you play the game out on paper, England did deserve to go through in terms of the possession they had, the chances they created, um, and that they really did press to win the game. It looked honestly like Denmark just ran out of gas. Uh, so Credit to Denmark, of course, for putting in a great performance. I do think it's a shame they had to go out on a dodgy penalty decision. I'd have rather it been a more stonewall penalty or maybe get all the way to pens and lose in that sort of 50-50 manner. But um, I personally, for entertainment's sake, not really having a stake in who wins, was begging for it to go to penalties because I wanted the drama. But it got there and, oh, now we've got a, we've got a new background, competing foods over here. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Denmark have nothing to be ashamed of, but England did get the job done. So speaking of drama, it looks like Rahul has gone ahead and put some fish and chips in the background here. So we're now representing the national dishes of the final. Let's pause on talking about the final for just a second. Guys, I was listening to Joe Cole's analysis of England. He was at the game and he's, he also ironically hosts his own podcast as well. So he does have communication with bigger stars out there and they kind of talk about different things going on. One thing that he mentioned, which was interesting since we're talking about the penalty was as he was younger or in his England days, they were taught as much as possible to stay up. 
if you feel a touch and it's not really a physical hit, try and step and continue to play the ball. One thing he's noticed with England, and I hesitate to use this word, it's almost like they've trained them to be smarter, to look for that touch, to go down lighter, dare I say, to almost try and win that penalty, which shows that from the days that we were watching England and football in general till today, the, the game has evolved. And it's going to be interesting. Rahul, with your fish and chips background, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I agree with you. I think uh, back in the day, it was all about staying on your feet. But the more this game has evolved uh, and the more you know that penalty calls are given if you're fouled, uh, especially with VAR in the game that isn't being used the way it should be, because this penalty call should have been overturned. Yes, the referee called it. He didn't have the right angles or whatever. But the VAR referee did. And the bigger issue here is... Uh, why aren't the video referees in a position or able to tell the referee on the field, hey, go take a look on the screen and then make a decision instead of just going with it? Uh, so that's the bigger issue. But like Alex said, like we've said, uh, England did have another penalty that wasn't given and VAR did look at it and that was more of a penalty. Uh, so I'm not saying that it, it kind of it evens itself out. But what I'm saying is, VAR needs to be improved a little bit more again because we've covered it for the whole season. And here we are saying uh, England go through on, on a dodgy call because VAR didn't have the guts to change it. Yeah, don't, don't get me started about VAR. You know my feelings about VAR, which is why I've avoided that topic for now. But before we jump into the final, I just want to give a big, big clap. Thank you praise to Denmark. They were my fantasy dark horse. I knew they were going to go on an amazing run here and they really did their nation proud. They did Christian Eriksen proud. Some of these younger players that were playing for Denmark, I think we talked about Kasper Dolberg in the previous episode. Hopefully they get big money moves to some big teams and we get to see them kind of flourish off of this tournament. That's what it's all about is getting these, these guys that are sometimes in the shadows to be brought up to the front and maybe they get a bigger opportunity to, to, show themselves on the big stage and and who knows maybe in the next world cup we'll be talking about denmark having a solid run and not being a dark horse maybe but let's move on to the big game so it's italy versus england <laughs> and i see i see the backgrounds are changing and ready to go and Raul, i think you had a question for alex now that southgate is on his background here didn't you yes thank you for for reminding us alex about this question <laughs> Uh, so we've asked this question ever since that waistcoat episode, which was, I believe, episode 52. So we're now doing four episodes since then. Um, and Alex had some strong words to say about Southgate. He would, he said he would actually resign, if I'm not wrong, Alex. Um, <laughs> I, I'm twisting them a little bit. <laughs> uh, but the question now is, Alex, England have made the final. Southgate is the first man since 1966, 55 long years, to get England into a final again. Doesn't he deserve a little bit of credit and an <laughs> apology from you? Um, <laughs> short answer, no. I, I, think, I, I don't think he deserves an apology from me. You know, perhaps we have to give him a bit of credit. And I, I have begun to to soften my stance in some ways in that I am acknowledging that you can be a good manager when you get easy runs in tournaments and maybe not a top class tactician who could last a whole season at a top club. So I do think there is something to be said for the fact that, I mean, I brought it up last episode, but 
winning what winning the euros takes seven wins and and you've won the euros and you don't even have to win them all as we saw with england whatever you could you could have technically if you were the very worst team you could get three draws and then four wins and win the european cup here i mean this is not like it doesn't require a season-long form uh the way maybe a premier league title does so if Southgate inspires these England players and he gets them fighting to the very final whistle and he's got the camaraderie in the dressing room and they're supporting each other. Um, we were discussing, I'm sure we can get into it after as well. Some of the quotes about how, how non-competitive these players are towards each other and that they really do just want to help the team. Um, even there was a, there was a good, we may have mentioned it last episode, but the, the Reese James, when he, when he made it on Twitter and someone said he didn't play, and he said, there's no, no I in team. We all made the, the semifinal. Well, now they've made the final. And all the players, including those who haven't had as many opportunities, seem to be fully in on the project and really dedicated to bringing it home. So absolutely, you have to respect the fact that the England players seem to be in the right place. I'm still, maybe it's just because I'm an outsider and, and haven't gotten a look into their training sessions or anything, I still don't think Gareth Southgate is tactically anywhere near the best manager in this tournament. I don't think he's, I don't think he's motivationally even that amazing. He doesn't seem to have a crazy strong presence, but he's got them gelling at the right time. So credit where it's due, but I am not apologizing for thinking that he is still living off the glory of his waistcoat. I think this is a team that could have been, coached by a waistcoat and the talent in this squad would have made it should have made a deep cup run as they have. So I, I guess to finish off with the words of my dad, when we were discussing this, this isn't North Macedonia. This is probably the most talented England side we've seen in decades. These guys should be making a deep cup run, but credit to Southgate, I suppose for getting them there. I still think with my FIFA experience, I could have done the same. <laughs> You know what, Alex, you make some good points. And I think we've said this before because your stance has remained the same throughout the episodes, throughout the tournament is that England have a fantastic squad. But Rahul, to kind of echo your comments on giving Southgate credit, we grew up watching, and I've said this before, the so-called golden generation of, of amazing talent, and they just couldn't gel. And Alex talked a little bit about it in his speech about Southgate of these players get along better, almost to the point that if you and I look back at 2005, when Chelsea played Man United, you could, you could smell fire. You could taste fire in the air. These guys were out to hurt each other and win the game. When Chelsea play Man United these days, it's like, oh, Chelsea are playing Man United. It's a big game. But there's no fear, no anger, no aggression. It's almost like it's a very professional football match. We're here to kick the ball, score a goal, and go home. And that is great for England, not necessarily great for the Premier League, but great for England because these players come together. And, and I'm using Chelsea, Manchester United as an example. You've got your Tottenham's, you've got your Arsenal's, you've got your Manchester City's, but they come together and there's no rivalry. There's no animosity that's coming off of the Premier League season. And from other leagues, of course, we know Kieran Trippier is from Spain. Chelsea did play Atletico Madrid, but it comes through as, hey, we're all friends and we're here to play. Is that the new generation of football player? Or is that where we can give Southgate and his crew some credit of, hey, they're getting the players to gel off the field? 
I think it's a little bit of both. Like you look at Mason Mount and Declan Rice, they've been friends since they were kids. Uh, part of Chelsea's academy, Declan Rice was let go and they still stayed in touch. Uh, and they've carried their friendship through him, uh, Rice at West Ham, Mount at Chelsea. And, and now in England, you see them uh, playing with the unicorn in the pool and, and just having a great time. Uh, and that, I think on the other side, you have Jordan Henderson, who plays for Liverpool. Uh, you have Harry Kane, who Liverpool and Spurs fought in a Champions League final. Uh, and they do have that animosity during the regular season. But I think they've all put that aside and said, we've got to get over this hump of England just don't perform in big tournaments. And that was done well in 2018 in the World Cup semifinal. I get Alex's point that you have an easier run, you play the easier teams, but you still have to beat those teams. And with England's history and the way England have done things in the past, they always falter. They always fall at a hurdle they're not supposed to. And Southgate and Steve Holland, the person in my background now, have put a team and a, a, a culture together in this England squad where it doesn't matter what they do during the Premier League season. When they're in England, they all pull towards the same direction. When they're playing a lesser opposition, they all pull towards winning and not saying, oh, okay, a draw is enough. Yes, they drew against Scotland. But at that point, that was still good enough to get them through to the next round. They didn't even have to play that third game to qualify. So Southgate, I think, deserves credit. Yes, he has the talent, but to get that talent to play, to have a Jack Grealish who gets subbed off after coming on after in the 86th or something minute, gets subbed off 20 or 30 minutes later, and then he says, you know what, boss? I'm okay. We're going to the final. Those things come because they're all – looking at the mission ahead and saying, we've got to bring this trophy home, no pun intended. And Southgate and Steve Holland, I don't want to miss Steve Holland because he left Chelsea. He said, I want to focus on England and he's reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, some great analysis. And honestly, guys, what I'm hearing is that there is some agreement between you and Alex here and that Southgate does deserve some credit. Whether or not it's on the coaching versus the talent is what I'm hearing some differences on the discussion. So... I think we're going to find some alignment here and it's going to be an exciting final, but you had a picture up before this Rahul and maybe I want you and Alex to discuss this a little bit about football's coming home. That's an interesting topic we were talking about offline before the podcast started. Uh, You had some history. You were going to tell us about it. So maybe this is a good conversation for you and Alex to have. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been hearing this term or this phrase since 2018 in the world cup where football's coming home and you think about it and you're mainly thinking about, okay, the trophy is coming home because England won the World Cup in 66 uh, and they were in the tournament four or five years ago and it was going to come back home. It didn't. And now this phrase has come back up again in the Euros. And so for the longest time, for anybody that doesn't know the history, it's all about the trophy coming back home. But it's really a little bit more than that. The song was put together in, in 1996 when actually England hosted the Euros that year. Uh, And it was the first time the game, football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, was actually coming back to where it began. Now, some people may say it began in other nations, and that's a different topic. But uh, that's how the song started. It was about the game just coming back home, being played on on English soil. Uh, And then after that tournament, England went out to Germany in the semifinals. Gareth Southgate missed a penalty. Uh, And since then, up until 2018, the English media, English fans have always kind of not felt the connection with an English squad. They haven't felt like uh, the teams perform as well as they could. And 
now that they're doing that, a lot of English people are saying we're happy with the way things are. Football has come back home. It's brought a smile back on our faces, at least with England. And the trophy is just a cherry on, on, on the cake. Uh, and so that's kind of the history of it is it's more about falling in love with England again versus having the trophy back in, in England. Yeah, Alex, what are your thoughts? Oh, there he goes. He's <laughs> telling you where it's coming. <laughs> I think personally it's coming to Rome. So I don't know if if I respect all the, the English traditions. Congratulations. You invented this beautiful game. <laughs> but my Italian boys are going to beat you at your own game. So I'm I'm back in these guys. Uh, I think I think we're in for one heck of a final though, and I I can't wait for it. So it's going to be good. You know, there's going to be a lot of fun to be had. Uh, discourse with fans online, offline. No matter how this goes, there is going to be some drama. Um, there are going to be tears, some of joy, some not of joy. I think this is going to be a very good time, especially as someone who doesn't have a crazy stake. Uh, in the game uh, can kind of watch on and enjoy the drama as it unfolds, but we're in for quite the fight. And I don't know if it does come home. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, here's my bet. Here's my bet. Let's keep things interesting. If it comes home, I will issue a formal video apology to Garrett Southgate. If it comes to Rome, Rahul issues a formal apology for having tried to delude our listeners into thinking he is a tactically <laughs> adept manager. Rahul, do you take this bet? I do, but... Um, you don't have to fully slander him. No, no, I, that's fine. It sounds fair. I, I don't think they'll lose it because of his non-tactical awareness, but fair we'll, enough. See, we'll see what happens. So, fair so enough. Let me, let me pause you guys first for just a quick second because I would like to get a prediction because it's a huge <laughs> game, but... We usually wrap up around the predictions, so I'd like to get a fantasy fantasy league update before we get into predictions because it's the last game and we're getting down to the wire. So, Alex, do you have a fantasy league update for us, or Rahul? One of you guys? <laughs> well, unfortunately, due to my game updates, my fantasy league location—you uh, can't even see it thanks to my green screen. My fantasy league app had to be sacrificed from my phone thanks to my in-game updates which i do on my story and require phone storage so i don't even know where i am in the table and hopefully rahul can tell me because i need to either log on on my desktop or make space to get this on my phone again okay that's funny you say the numbers for us (laughs) yeah it's funny you say that because i remember when we were watching the champions league final alex is like so what app should i delete now yeah i I deleted (laughs) at least three apps during the champions league final uh, but yeah coming to the fantasy league so alex when i checked uh, unfortunately it's locked me out of the app right now and i don't remember my login but yesterday when i checked after the games were over you were in 31 okay so you're getting close to the i think you want to top 20 it's uh, within so reach with a is, great day it is um and then i had moved up to 66 which is pretty close to jackie's brother who's also in the league and i messaged him and he goes i haven't changed my team since the first round so <laughs> I wasn't, I was feeling pretty good about what I was doing. And then I was like, I'm tied with the person who hasn't paid any attention. <laughs> um, and then I think Jackie had moved up to. I am the... sitting in 91st. So there you go. A little bit of changes, but I will give a quick shout out to our top three and let you guys know how that's going because it's pretty tight up there. And depending on who you pick for the last game, it could go either way. But we've got 
Hakka army, which is run by Sagar Ghosh, sitting with 373 points. Then this is one of the best names out there, Curious Jorginho by Byron B with 366 points. So very tied up there, depending on who you pick for that final. And then in third place, this name has been there throughout the whole tournament. That's Juru Sandstorm by Thomas Ho. Ho. And I apologize if I say anybody's name wrong. 353 points. So you guys at the top make some good choices for the final week because this could get interesting and it's going to go down to the wire. I wonder, we could also, just just a, a thought, I, I don't know if our listeners would be interested, we could also invite the winner of the Fantasy League, whoever it is, to do a quick little five-minute chat with us at the end of, of our episodes after the Euros or something. Yes, if you're the winner out there, DM us, let us know if you're interested in coming on to the episode. That will definitely We'd like be to. I'd love to hear about how your tactical analysis eclipses <laughs> that of Garrett Southgate. <laughs> All right, before Alex jumps back into this one, guys, let me get some predictions from you. Alex, I'll start with you because you are excited. You've got Mancini holding up. Is that five fingers, four fingers behind you? I don't know. It looks like he's blessing me or something. <laughs> he's, he's blessing my football knowledge. Um, I This is a tough one because for all my Italian bluster – I can completely see a dodgy Sterling dive scraping a win for England. Not like that's been happening at any point in in this tournament. No. Um, So who knows? It's all up in the air, but I've got to go with my guns and get my man, curious Jorginho pulling the strings in midfield, the midfield maestro, the Ballon d'Or candidate. I want to see this man drop a masterclass I want to see the rival tears flowing on the internet. I want to see, I mean, I want to see the world burn. So I want a Ballon d'Or <laughs> worthy performance from my guy, Jorginho. And I'm going with, as always, it depends how adventurous the teams are. Italy, uh, England, rather, as we know, is fully capable of sitting back and not attacking that hard, as we saw in some of their earlier games. Um, but they did really come out in the last game or two, I think, If England are adventurous, I could see this going 3-1 Italy's way due to the quality of Italy's attacking players. And I'm backing Chiesa and Insigne to really rip apart um, England on the transition. But my realistic realistic prediction is going to be 2-1 to Italy. Um, Though I would also be completely game for a a game-ending penalty shootout with Jorginho slotting the winner past good old Jordan Pickford. Either way we slice this, it looks like Italy's going to win. I don't think there's a shock there that Alex predicted that Italy was going to win. <laughs> Rahul, are you 2-1 as is the official, just right, to, to clarify. 2-1. Lock that one down. Rahul, are you as gung-ho? Are you as animated? Are you as excited to defend England as Alex is with regards to Italy? What are your predictions? I am, and I think... So I think about the two squads, right? And I think what about what Spain did to Italy? I think uh, Garrett Southgate is going to use our boy Mason Mount to counterattack or stifle Jorginho. And you know, Mason Mason Mount has the energy to not only stifle Jorginho but the other midfielders too. So I think that's going to be a key battle. The other key battle is going to be with Harry Kane occupying Bonucci and Chiellini, which would open up some space for likes of Sterling. Uh, and whoever plays on the other side, I think it's going to be Saka. 
And so I think England's attack against, no disrespect to Italy, they're aging central defenders. Emerson, who we know is a little bit suspect, again, no disrespect to him uh, in defending. I think England can get a few goals. I know they will stay tight. I know he may even go with a back three uh, just to prevent Italy's, uh, you know, threats on the, on the counter, as well as they're just, they've been scoring some outstanding goals from outside the box. Uh, so my threat, my fear there is with Jordan Pickford, who may come short, no pun intended. Um, so I'm going to go with a 3-1 to England. Um, and I think it's, it's coming home, but it's also time that England put in a performance that, you know, suits uh, the big occasion and put it out of question and get it done. Wow. So two opposing views here. We see Jorginho holding the Ballon d'Or over there. Football's coming home. Guys, I'm going to split us down the middle. <laughs> I am going to go with a draw. I think it's going to be cagier than we're both expecting. I think it's probably going to go 1-1 in 90 minutes and hard, hard, hard fought till we go to penalties. I think Alex had alluded to that being uh, a possible scenario, and I think that's what's going to happen. But for me, in the penalties, I think our very own Mason Mount will slot home the winner. And so for me, England will come back off of penalties. But again, guys, I am excited for this game. It's going to be a nail biter. It's going to be exciting. And apparently in the next episode, somebody's apologizing to somebody <laughs> on, on this pad. So either way, I'm excited for the next episode. I'm yeah. waiting for Garrett Southgate to sub himself on to take the final penalty and miss it. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, but either way, they're saying the regardless of um, our banter between Alex and I, if England win this, I think that the following Monday is going to be a, a holiday in England. Uh, and I was watching some videos and some online stuff from fans being interviewed while they were watching or after the game. And people were like, what are you going to do if England win? And one guy goes, I'm just getting drunk for a week straight. <laughs> um, and so I feel... I feel like this is, it's brought the whole nation together. And after, after the year we've had with the pandemic and uh, no fans in the stadium, everyone's just having a blast. And Italy, England, doesn't matter who wins. I think at the end of the day, fans have won. Uh, and I'm looking forward to another great final, not only in the Euros, but as we said, in the Copa. Uh, it should be two good games. And this weekend should be filled with a lot of good soccer and moments. So looking forward to it. But before we uh, part our ways for this episode, Alex, uh, any final thoughts? You've said a lot. It's time to see what happens on Sunday, but just any parting thoughts? I don't think so. It's time to see if if the uh, – I mean, I can't even think of any any trashy nickname to give Jorginho comparing him to a, a past legend because – he is going to be a future legend when he brings home his very own Ballon d'Or. So I'm just waiting for him to back up all my talk. Jay Jump, as he said. Jackie, how about you? Look, I'm excited for the Italian job. I'm going to be watching with my fingernails being ripped out of my hand because I'm going to be tense no matter what happens. So definitely excited. Excited as well. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening and tuning in. Uh, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Instagram, and YouTube. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, please send us your feedback. We're loving the comments and uh, the messages we receive. So please send those over as well. Uh, and we will be back either Sunday night 
or Monday, depending on how one of us is feeling. Um, but we will be back to do the review for the final and then just do a preview for Chelsea's preseason. But until then, stay safe and it's coming home.